We are going to be in Esther chapter 4. And we will read the whole chapter. Um, but I am going to go ahead because I didn't want us to have to read all four chapters of Esther. So before we actually read the scripture, I'm going to give you um, basically the whole background of what we've missed so far by starting in chapter 4. So, we won't start reading yet. We will start reading after I've given a very long introduction. So, just hold your place, and we'll get to that. Now, let me turn this off. Okay, so, I've already established that we're not all familiar with the book of Esther here in this room. So, the book of Esther uh, starts with something that happens at the palace. So just bear with me. I'm going to give you some background on what's going on as the book opens. And then we will move on to the actual star of the show, which is Esther. And so um, what our title is tonight is Esther Part 1, Listening to Mordecai. So uh, if the Lord wills, and that's what he leads me into, uh, we're going to have a part two probably next Wednesday. So if that does happen, then you will get to hear the rest of the story, but if it doesn't, I will be sure to fill you in on the rest of the story next Wednesday before we start our real lesson. So, the book of Esther starts with the palace. So, um, in the third year of his reign, King Ashuraharis, and I'm not sure how to say that, so I am going to call him by his Greek name, which is Xerxes. So, I'm going to uh, call him Xerxes. That's way easier for me to say, and I won't feel stupid trying to uh, push out that other name because I don't know how to say it. So anyway, King Xerxes was having a feast for all of his princes and all of his servants. He was showing off some of his riches. You know, everything was elaborately decorated, and probably even uh, the food that they were serving was uh, just just amazing and they were they were just having a good time they ate and they drank and they were just enjoying themselves he was just basically throwing a party for everybody so while he was having such a good time he decided to call for his queen and her name was Vashti or Vashti I don't know which way you're really supposed to say it but uh, I'll probably call her Vashti because that's what I I've always called her in my head But Vashti was having her own feast with the women in her own quarters and everything. And so while all this is going on, King Xerxes says, hey, let Vashti come forth, or Vashti, whatever. Let her come forth so everyone can just look at her beauty. Because the Bible says that she was very beautiful. And so he wanted her to come out and to parade around in front of everybody so everybody could just drool over her. Well, so she refused. And she would not come. She said, no, I'm not coming out there. And so the king was quite upset. His queen, his wife, had just disobeyed him in front of all of the princes and uh, all of the servants. His wife had just told him no. And so uh, the wise men told the king that this attitude could spread to other women throughout the kingdom to where the women would no more obey their husbands. And so they suggested... That Queen Vashti come no more before the king, meaning her crown and her status would be taken away. She would, she would be kicked out. She's fired. 
no more Queen Vashti because she did not obey what the king told her to do. And they don't want that attitude spreading throughout the kingdom. And so um, that way, all the other women would give honor to their husbands, whether they were great or whether they were small. They would continue to do that because, in a sense, they were trying to put fear into all the women so that they would obey their husbands. So... Uh, the king said, all right, very well, let's do that. So the queen was kicked out, and uh, she, there was no more queen in the land because she would not obey the king. So um, after some time passed, and I'm not completely sure how much time passed, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit because this was his third year of his reign. And so we're going to use that as our uh, basis of time. But after that, after some time went by, he, he felt appeased about it. He was no longer, I guess, angry. And he kind of probably started to feel lonely. He was ready to open his heart up again. He was ready to love again, if you want to be romantic about it. But basically, he just wanted another, uh, another woman, another queen. And so it was suggested to him that all the fair virgins of the land be brought before him so that he could choose a new queen. And so a lot of people have likened this, likened, likened this to kind of like a beauty pageant because all the beautiful women came and they were going to parade around and he was going to look at them. He's going to pick the one that he wanted. So this is where Esther comes in. Esther, whose Hebrew name was Hadassah, which is where we get our daughter's name. How exciting. Uh, because uh, Esther was a Hebrew and that was her name, Hadassah, but a lot of people um, that had to relocate or were forced to relocate because they were captives, they uh, went by names that went with the land. I'm not really sure the reason why, but like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah, that's not their real names. Their real names, their Hebrew names were something different. And I can't tell you exactly all of them right now because I have to actually read them. So scripture says that... Um, uh, Esther was brought up by her cousin because her parents had died. So um, the relation that uh, this man whose name Mordecai was, the relationship that he had to Hadassah was he was Esther's dad's nephew. So Esther's dad was his uncle. So they were basically cousins. And scripture says he brought her up as a daughter. And uh, it also says that she was fair and that she was beautiful. So naturally, she was going to be receive an invitation to this beauty pageant. Uh, she was one of the virgins that was going to be brought before the, the king. But it wasn't as simple as them going into the, the palace and putting on a little makeup and picking out the best dress and get, getting pushed on in there to the king because they actually had to undergo uh, a year's worth of beauty treatments. They did six months with the oil of myrrh and then six months with uh, sweet odors is what the scripture says and then other things and it even calls it purification. So I don't know if they thought that they just would stink and they needed to make them go through a year's worth of prepping their, their bodies or, or what they thought about that but basically they were just going to be pampered for a whole year before they were even able to go in before the king. So... Before uh, all of this, and before she was taken into the palace, Mordecai had charged her not to reveal that she was a Jew. He said, don't, don't reveal who you are. Don't reveal your people. Just keep that a secret, you know. Nobody needs to know. Keep that a secret. And he also walked daily before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what would become of her. 
He was daily walking by, just checking on her and making sure she was okay. So um, he kept a close watch on her, and we are going to come back and visit that a little bit more later, so kind of keep that in your mind. So each virgin was given the chance to meet with King Xerxes to see if the king delighted in her or not. When it was Esther's turn to go in, she asked the chamberlain or... Um, the the man who was put in charge of all the women, she asked him and she said, hey, why don't you tell me what I should, because all the women were allowed to take and wear and get whatever they wanted, whatever the palace had to offer, they were allowed access to it for their time to go into the king. They were allowed to wear whatever they wanted. So instead of just going crazy and picking out what she liked, she asked someone who was around the palace and around the king and knew the king who could know what he liked best. So she asked him, hey, what would you require for me to go in there? What, what should I wear? Uh, does he like pink? Does he like women to wear lipstick or not? You know. So she was uh, seeking out his advice for that. Um, she was, so she wasn't just a pretty face, and she knew when to ask for help. She had the wisdom to ask for help in that situation. So she wasn't just somebody who was pretty and had nothing to offer in her head. She had a brain. <laughs> so uh, she went, when she went into the king, uh, he delighted in her. And the Bible says he loved her more than all the other women. And so uh, it is kind of like a love story because he loved her more than everyone else. Let's see here. And she also obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. Yeah, yes. Verse 17 of chapter 2, it says, And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So Esther became the new queen. She was crowned queen. Let's see here. So... Uh, this, the Bible says that this was in the seventh year of the king's reign. So this was four years after Queen Vashti was kicked out. Four years after Queen Vashti was kicked out, there was a new queen. So the way that I understand it is that uh, possibly he called for the virgins about three years after this happening with, uh, with Vashti. It was about three years because it was in the seventh year of his reign that she was crowned and you have to take away a year for the beauty treatments. So anyway, I just, I never looked really closely into the timeline of all this. So I'm finding it interesting to know some of the years and how long all of this actually took to take place. Because sometimes the way, when you read Esther, if you look over what year his reign is, you're kind of just thinking, man, this happened in like a week. But uh, it didn't turn around that fast. There was more time. Things were turning and things were working. So, okay, so after all of this happened, uh, Esther has been crowned queen and uh, she has been queen for a while. After all this, there uh, comes a man named Haman and he rose to power. Uh, the king, I don't, it doesn't specifically say that Haman was second in command, but he was pretty far up there because it says he was set above all the other princes and everyone was supposed to bow to him and show him respect. So there was some kind of a rule made that if you see Haman, you need to bow down and you need to uh, uh, show him uh, the respect that he was required, that he required them to do. So all of this, everyone was supposed to do that, but Mordecai did not. Whenever Haman came into the room or walked by, Mordecai did not bow to him. 
And it, it, isn't, it isn't exactly clear why he did not do that. Not really sure if it was because he felt that this rule, it was too much and that bowing to him would compromise his relationship to God as if like if they wanted them to fall down completely prostrate in front of him and fall to their face on the floor, then he wasn't going to do that because he, he would probably only do that for his Lord. And so not really sure. Maybe he, re he wanted to reserve whatever they were requiring for God, or maybe it was because he felt this honor was undeserved to Haman because he felt like Haman did, was not worthy of that kind of respect that they were requiring him to show. So whatever the, the case may be, Mordecai would not bow to him, and he refused. And uh, from all the scripture that we can read about him in Esther, he seemed to be uh, a godly and an upright man. So we know that it wasn't just some piddly thing where he was just like, well, I'm not bound to you. He wasn't on an ego trip. He was doing it and he had a reason for it, even if we don't know that exact reason. So obviously this made Haman mad because there's a rule that people should bow to you. People need to keep that rule, right? And so uh, what else would he do after being mad about this? What else would he do but to make a plot to destroy not only Mordecai, but all of his people? Mordecai's entire nation. So he was mad at Mordecai. He was upset with Mordecai. So, well, let's just kill all the Jews. This guy won't bow to me, so let's kill them all, was his plan. So he made this plan in the 12th year of King Xerxes' reign. And so the 12th year, so that would mean uh, Esther was crowned in the 7th year. So this would be five years after Esther had been crowned queen. So Esther's not a fresh new queen. She's not, she didn't just enter the palace like, you know, uh, a couple months ago. She's been there for five years. So... Um, he, uh, so Haman decided he came up with this plot and his plan, uh, wouldn't go into effect for about 11 months. So the way he planned it is that he was going to bring his, uh, whole decree, his plot, whatever. He's going to bring it in before the king. And, uh, if the king approved it, then it would go into effect and all the Jews would be completely annihilated on that day. And then also, um, oh yeah, I'm getting to that. So he went before the king and he was a little sneaky about it. He didn't just go in and say, okay, I'm mad at Mordecai and I want all his people to die. He didn't go in there and do that. He was, he was sneakier. He was cunning. So he went to the king and he said, you know, there, there is a people that don't abide by your laws. And you know, if we killed them all off, it would bring in a lot of money to the kingdom. So, I mean, I mean, why don't we just get rid of these troublemakers right now? Why don't we get rid of them before they, I don't know, maybe revolt against your throne? Now, I don't think he actually said that, but it's stuff that he's implying. He's saying that uh, he's saying that there's laws that these people aren't obeying, which the main law being they won't bow to him. Oh my goodness, big deal. So anyway, so he, he very cunningly uh, says, brings this before the king, and the king says, hmm, all right, let's do it. So the king gives Haman his ring so that he could make this law because you had to have the ring for the signet and all that good stuff. So he gives him his ring, and Haman has the power to carry this out. So 
Esther 3.15 says the post went out being hastened by the king's commandment and the decree was given in Shushan the palace and the king and Haman sat down to drink but the city Shushan was perplexed. So the city was confused. They were perplexed. They were like, wait, what? Why? Why are we killing the Jews? What did they ever do? That's weird. And so that brings us to our passage tonight because we are all caught up because verse 15 is the last verse in chapter 4. So now we're just going to read the whole chapter of chapter 4 of Esther. And it's only 17 verses. So it says, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, meaning that plot that Haman brought before the king, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every promise, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's, ma- Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him. But he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So she sent somebody to figure out what was going on. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak, <clears throat> and Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak, and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and, all, and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is, one law, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to, es- to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then, there shall, then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So... 
We are talking about an annihilation of a people. The Jews are going to be killed off. This includes men, women, children. All of them were going to be killed. Uh, they were supposed, these, uh, Haman is from a people that hated the Jews. Uh, this comes from a time whenever Saul, King Saul, foolishly did not kill off all of these people because God commanded that at, at this war he was supposed to kill off all the people and all their animals and all of them. And Saul did not obey him, and so uh, that is where Haman comes from. He is an Agagite. And uh, yeah, we'll just move on from there because all of that's irrelevant. So Haman has a lot of hate for the Jewish people, like in his blood. So uh, how many know that there is an enemy of our soul that wants to wipe out the church. I know so many godly people, and I told you guys about it during prayer requests, so many godly people in churches that are just facing such hardship right now. The devil wants to annihilate the people of God. He is the accuser of the brethren, and he wants to put an end to the church of Jesus Christ. He hates us, and that is his utmost goal and plan. And I'll just throw in here right now that he doesn't just want to uh, annihilate us and the church, but he just wants to annihilate and take away all people. He wants to kill them all off because anybody that's not saved right now is a possibility to be saved by the gospel. All they need to do is believe. So he wants everybody in destruction, just everybody. So this doesn't even include the church, but I'm also focusing a little bit on the church right here as well, but the lost as well. So we need to be aware of this. We need to know and remember that he hates us and that uh, killing us is his ultimate goal and plan. I'm not talking about being afraid and looking over our shoulders and hiding out behind a hiding behind a bush, expecting the devil at every corner. I'm not talking about that, that we need to be on edge because we serve an all-powerful God and we know that he has all power over the devil and that in the end, the devil will lose and the Lord will win. So we know that, but we just need to be aware of the fact that we are in fact in a spiritual battle, whether we want to acknowledge that or not, whether we want to just think that we're going about our day just normal and everything and that, that all there is to this life is just what we're doing and then we'll just go to heaven someday. No, we need to acknowledge that we are in a spiritual battle and that there's an enemy of our soul that wants us to fail, that wants us to not make heaven and to fall. So notice what Haman did after his plan was done. We read that scripture where it says he sat down to eat and drink or, you know, to rest because his work was over. And he had accomplished what he wanted. He wanted to pass the law. He got what the king, the king approved, and it was done. So it was done. So he sat down to eat and drink and to rest. So the devil does the same thing whenever he thinks he's got us. Whenever he throws the biggest storm we've ever had in our life and we are just mind blown, he sits back and he goes, oh yeah, I've got him now. But we know that it's not over until the Lord says it's over. And that is the case in this story. It is not over until the Lord says that it is over. So in our scripture, Esther doesn't seem to know what's going on. Even though every province, there was mourning and weeping among the Jews. Everybody's mourning this because they all got the post. But for some reason, Esther doesn't know why. Um, why? Let me turn this on in case she texts it. Esther doesn't know why Mordecai's in sackcloth and ashes. And that's what they did when they were very upset about something. They put on sackcloth and ashes. And so she's like, what's he doing? So um, now earlier, I do want to point out and uh, 
take a little side road real quick. Earlier we read about how Mordecai was guiding Esther. He charged her not to reveal her people. He also then consistently came to check on her and to see how she was doing. Now the reasoning behind why he charged her not to uh, reveal her people, I'm really not that sure of, but it could be because she would have been looked down upon because she was a Jew, uh, anything, but it really probably kind of just worked all to the advantage and to the ultimate goal of the Lord uh, in this situation. So anyway, he consistently came to check on her to see how she was doing. And also he continued to tell her that she shouldn't reveal her people even after she became queen, because that was in scripture too. Even after she became queen, he said, hey, don't reveal your people. And she said, okay, Mordecai. So she didn't let her position as queen uh, make her puffed up to where she disregarded his advice. She still continued to listen to him. So tonight what I want you to do is I want you to think of Mordecai and the work he does uh, for Esther. And I want you to compare it to the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. Doesn't he just guide us through everything and tell us exactly what we should say? And isn't he always just checking on us, coming and, and seeing how we're doing and, and making sure everything is going all right? He is. That is his whole purpose. So uh, now we need to take a lesson from Esther. So if, if Mordecai is like the Holy Spirit and Esther is like us, then... Um, uh, we can take a les lesson from Esther as well and listen to his sweet voice and do his exactly as he says to do. Because she did not let her position make her puffed up and think she didn't need to listen to Mordecai anymore. So also we do not need to let elevated status or position make us despise the Spirit's leading and guidance. Just because you may be a teacher or a preacher or you are considered a man of God or a woman of God, that doesn't mean that you no longer lead, need the Holy Spirit's leading. You should continue to do as he says so that you can save a nation as We'll see if Esther does. So we, as we go along this, compare Mordecai to the Holy Spirit and his work in your life, in our lives. We need to be, I want us to be looking at that tonight. So Mordecai finds the plot and is in dust and ashes before the king's gate. This is told to Esther and she tries to send him clothes. She says, here, take some, get, some, get dressed. Why are you laying in ashes? She doesn't understand why he is wallowing in the dust and ashes and wants him to be back to his old happy self, checking on her and telling her, guiding her and being nice to her. She, she doesn't understand why he is in this state. So sometimes we won't like how the Holy Spirit comes to us. He may be coming in mourning for lost souls while maybe we're wanting to rejoice over something and be happy. Or maybe he will come with victory when we are just wallowing in pity for ourselves, throwing a pity party about how hard life is. But he comes to us with a victory plan and he says, hey, this is what we're going to do. And we're like, no, leave me alone. I want to be left alone and I want to throw this little hissy fit. We need to be sensitive to his leading and do what the Holy Spirit calls us to do and what he wants. Okay, so back to Esther. She sends a servant to find out what is going on, and Mordecai tells her Haman's plot. He also charges her, hey, you need to go in unto the king, and you need to make supplication and request for your people. And Esther says, I can't go into the inner court unless he calls me. I can't go in there, because there's the inner court, and there's the outer court. So she's allowed in the outer court with no, no threat to her life at all. But if she opens that door and she walks in, she is now at chance to be put to death because the king did not call her there. So uh, 
The king could put her to death if she comes in unsummoned. However, if he was to uh, extend his golden scepter to her and she was to touch the top of it, then that means he, he loves her and he's like, yes, come on. I'm so glad you're here. But if he doesn't do that, then she could be put to death. And she also mentions that the king has not called her to come to him for these past 30 days. And whether that means only in the inner court or whether that means uh, anywhere else in the palace, I take it to mean that she has not uh, seen the king and talked to him for about 30 days. So she's like, I don't know. He hasn't called me for 30 days. Not really sure what's going on. So since the king had not cared to, enough for her presence lately that he hasn't called for her, she kind of was like, I don't even know if he likes me right now, <laughs> you know? Because when someone doesn't call you for a month or you don't talk to somebody for a month, you start to think that maybe something's wrong, especially if that someone is your spouse. <laughs> if you haven't talked to your spouse for a month and it seems to be kind of on purpose, you're going to be thinking, hmm. This isn't good. So Mordecai replies, and this is a very familiar scripture. So we'll just, um, we're running low on time, so I'm not going to read the whole scripture. But the last uh, little bit that he says, But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that phrase is so familiar in uh, in the church because it's it's so beautiful because it seems that Esther was put, she was destined to be queen at this time for the sake of her people, for the sake of God's people. So Mordecai tells Esther that she shouldn't think that she will escape destruction by staying silent. He says that if she doesn't speak up at this time, then deliverance will arise from another place, but she herself will be destroyed. Mordecai basically gives her a pep talk in a victory plan speech to save her people, telling her that she may have become queen for this very time, for this moment. This was her hour. This was her moment. This was her time to shine because this is why God had perhaps put her there. And so the Holy Spirit knows the plan of Satan and he knows what his plan is, that it's out, he's out to destroy us. And he is trying to tell us that we need to be ready to give our lives to save a nation of people. We can look around and we can see people turning away from God and heading for destruction. We can see our friends stepping back from God and living a life of sin rather than living a holy life. We see our churches fighting, splitting, or dying. And it is our job to put our lives on the line so that this awful plan of Satan can be stopped because he wants to tear apart every church of God and he wants to bring them down to their knees to where they are no longer able to do the work of Christ. That is his ultimate plan and that is what he wants. So will help arise from another place if we personally don't step in? Well, yes, but why would we sit back while, uh, sit by, back while this goes on and hold our peace? We may find ourselves in a place of destruction ourselves, just as Mordecai said that Esther would be destroyed if she didn't step up. We may find ourselves in a place of destruction if we are not willing to step out and obey the calling of God. Obey the, and obey him and be willing to go and do what he says to do. We must step in and go to battle to save our people. And like I said a while back, we are uh, in class, I mentioned this a little while ago, we are here for such a time as this. We are in this community and in this church and in this state and in this country, in this world. We are here for such a time as this to preach the gospel of Christ. So let's read Esther's response. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Sushan and fast ye for me and neither eat drink, or drink three days, night or day. 
I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther decides that she is going to go into the inner court of the king and plead for the lives of her people. She calls together her closest friends, her maidens, and says they will, that uh, she, they're going to fast, and she asks Mordecai to do this, the same. She can tell and she knows that there is strength in numbers, so she asks for the help for the, from those around her. Her final words are, if I perish, I perish. She has resigned herself to death, that if uh, that if death is what happens to her, she doesn't care. She is still going to do everything in her power to save her people. So notice the boldness of what switches after after Mordecai tells her all those things. And it's like, man, you're here for such a time as this. You need to get in there and you need to do that. She goes from, I can't go in there. It's death if I do. Sorry, you got the wrong lady. She goes from that to, if I perish, I perish. I am going in. So it's amazing. And that's the same in our lives. If we would just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and if we would just listen to him, then we would be able to switch from, oh, I can't tell my friends about Jesus. I can't, I can't go out into the street and witness. I can't, I can't raise my hands in church and I can't talk to the old people and, and uh, encourage them and let them know that there are young people living for the Lord. I can't do that. But if we would let the Holy Spirit minister to us and we would seek his face and we would get down to business and be like, God, I just want to do your work. And if I perish, I perish. That would become our motto. I don't care. Uh, he fills, fills us with such a boldness. And then also, we don't have to go about this alone. We don't have to make a plan to try to help the church or help the, the lost or help the people that are backslidden on God. We don't have to do all that on our own. We can ask for those around us for their help. We don't have to just assume that no one else cares about the kingdom of God. We can ask for help from those. Ask for ideas and what you can do to make a difference. Like Esther, we must be willing to go against what is the norm because she went against the very law and if that is what it takes one day, then we should be willing to go against the law just to proclaim Christ's name. But we should be of the mindset that our lives are in the hand of Jesus and we will perish doing his will if that is what is going to happen. But we need to go against the grain, go against what's normal. It doesn't matter if people aren't interested in God. It doesn't matter if we feel like they will laugh in our face. We should be willing to go against what that is, whatever that is that's telling us and be able to say, hey, no, I'm going to step out. And if I perish, if my uh, reputation of being cool perishes, then I'm going to go for it because I want God's glory to be throughout the earth. And I want to, to be a vessel and, and to work for him. So um, as far as the story goes, that's where we're going to stop tonight. Like I told you, we might have a, a part two next Wednesday, and we will find out what's happened. So you guys will be in suspense of what actually takes place for Esther when she goes into the king, unless you want to read it yourselves. <laughs> so uh, you know the book that it's in. So if you want to go ahead and find out, if you can't remember or you don't know, go ahead and read it. But if not, I am definitely going to explain what happens next Wednesday. So uh, tonight, though, what I want to drive home is that we are in this to save a generation of people. And uh, like I talked about earlier, just not just the church. That's kind of what I focused on. But we also are in this for the kingdom of God to save lost souls because the lost 
they are the future of the church, you know? Because people like to say young people are the future of the church, but you guys are the church right now. You're in the church. You're, if you have Christ in your heart, then you are the church. But the lost really are the future because they're lost. And if we go to them and, and, and they gloriously get born again and they are saved, then they become the church. So the lost are the future of the church right now. Um, with the Holy Spirit as our guide, we cannot go wrong. Just noticing all that uh, Mordecai was able to guide Esther into. That is the Holy Spirit. He guides us. So I just want us to pray about that tonight. It's some, we may not have time to actually pray here. But what is the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? Are we allowing him to tell us what to do? Are we allowing our position to make us prideful and think that we don't need his advice because we know so much already? Do we let him tell us to do something that could be uncomfortable and out of the ordinary? Do we accept that when he brings that before us and into our lives or do we just say no 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 to him is that what we're saying when he speaks to us and if you are one of Jesus's sheep then you know his voice and the Holy Spirit is his voice because he is doing Christ's work right now are we concerned about the state of the body of Christ are we concerned about the loss are we willing to lay down our lives or even just a part of our lives even just our, our reputation, or even just some of our time, or even just anything. Are we willing to lay any of it down for the cause of Christ? Are we willing to save a nation, uh, uh, to save a people? So that's just what I want us to pray about. Uh, so we'll just kind of...